Hello and welcome back to Sober Town. If you listen to part one, this is going to be part two of King 13 discussing grief with several of my dear friends from the I Am Sober community. And today I have the absolute pleasure of being joined by one of my really good friends who's in the castle with me and she just turned one year on Friday, the 25th of March, and I want to say just good morning and another big congratulations to Break Ground. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you feeling after all this one-year stuff? Because I told you I was a bit like, ah, oh, okay, because you don't, I didn't expect the rah-rah. Did you? I really didn't. I wasn't sure what to expect with emotions. Um, I think my voice quivered a little bit. My eyes got, got a little bit <laughs> leaky when um, the first time I said one year, um, I didn't expect that actually. Um, but yeah, the first time I vocalized it, I was like, oh, there they are, the emotions. Um, but yeah, I know I've definitely experienced the, the excitement, but I recognize that, you know, it's, it's another day in the process. So I'm still doing the work, still peeling back the layers and moving forward. And what did you do after that? Did you go and take a hike yesterday? You know, it's been cold. Um, I've been in a workshop all weekend. Oh, that's right. Yes, of course. Saturday was the walking day. It was, yeah. So you're doing the workshop now, and I want to get on to that because in your year, we'll get to the grief just in a minute. But the good news is just briefly tell our listeners what you've accomplished, where you were, and 12 months now. So part of my journey and part of my recovery for my foot last year is I got back into yoga. Um, and yoga sort of called out to me several times throughout my life, um, and I really had a calling. So Um, I rehabbed my foot starting with yoga and it just became um, a mind body soul connection again for me and in that process I started doing some more reading and digging in a little bit deeper and in that process I wanted to learn more Um, so I did some exploring and um, looked up some yoga teacher training And so I started that path at the beginning of January. I just earned my yoga, my first yoga teacher training um, last week as well. So that aligned with my one year. So that was exciting. Yep. Um, And then next week, or no, later this week, actually, I go for my CPR training. And now I'm starting my next certification. I've done my yoga uh, trauma informed as well, which I think is really important for my own learning. but for holding safe space for anybody that I might be teaching as well. So it's been an interesting journey. I know. It's amazing. And as we're seeing, like yourself, other people come around the clock to the one year and how much they have achieved. It's like, I don't know, it's almost like, it is like the icing on on the cake. You do feel a bit like, I feel like a bit like a yeah one-year-old kid and you get that big cake and it's like, because it was always about everybody else getting becoming one year. It was, I was thinking, that, that's not going to be me. Like, yeah. that's great for them, but how do I get there? And then when you do, and the accolades are for you, and you're like, you do have to take a moment to reflect and think like, you f- I feel the same, but things have changed. I am different in certain ways, and I have, you know, 
yeah, yeah, you certainly. And I mean, it's no secret you put the before and after shot and how completely different. She's half the size of what she used to be. They, they said that about me a couple of couple of years ago. Now they're going to be saying now she's double the size she used to be. But that's a whole other ball game. But yeah, anyway. So congratulations. You've really, you've really, really, really done well. And that's the good part of your life. Now let's talk about this thing called grief. We know that grief is loss and how the brain tries to process this loss. And it, there's no way there's we're not professionals and people do process it differently what has been your experience and tell the listeners about yeah what's happened to you so in 2014 um, my dad was diagnosed with a glioblastoma so brain cancer Um, and this was about a year after I had my second brain surgery so it was a total gut punch Um, because my son and I had just come home from, um, doing some work and, you know, whatever, and found the door shaking. And I was like, Oh, I wonder what dad's fixing now. So, you know, whatever. And I tried to push open the door and I couldn't, there was like weight behind the door. I'm like, I wonder what he's doing. And, um, finally got the door open and he's laying behind the door. Um, I thought at that moment, I thought it was him having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Never would have thought seizure. Mm-hmm. But by the time the paramedics came, um, they, you know, said it was a seizure. So yeah, just total gut punch. Um, because me with my epilepsy history and everything else and two brain surgeries, I'm like, what are the chances? Fast forward, he ends up having, you know, brain surgery to remove this um, mass by my brain surgeon. I'm like, you know, what are, what are the chances? I know, I know, right? Oof. Yeah. Like he, but like he did a fantastic job on, well, you for, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's no other brain surgeon that I would have wanted him, my yeah, dad. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, like at least being there, done that, can recommend. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> Highly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, that was you know so he yeah. did have the surgery when you found it behind the door he had collapsed no, it was um, about a month later that my dad had the surgery like he'd gone through some tests and everything else right and, yeah um, and then yeah I did my best to get him into that hospital and into the hands of my my surgeon and it worked out thankfully the universe aligned um and he was able to resect most of the um tumor he started um, chemotherapy and radiation. Um, it managed it for a little while, but then in 2016, he became terminal. Um, he was falling all over the place. And within weeks, he was bedridden in a wheelchair. Um, you, know, you know, if he was going to be, basically, he was bedridden. I'll just leave it at that. Um, and um, in hospital, basically terminal. And he fought for a good two years. And it was around this time that I would say my drinking was picking up. Right. Um, It was, you know, around that time that my own health issues had sort of gotten better. So whether it was just circumstance or whether it was just because, okay, now I'm having to deal with my dad and you know, and be stronger mm-hmm. yeah you had to dig uh, deep yeah and I I spoke in a, a previous podcast that you know like I mean while I was navigating my own health issues 
drinking was just not part of my life for obvious reasons. Um, and now that I had my life back, I was like, okay, you know, got into the whole, okay, I can go, go out and be social again. So, you know, I was getting back to my own life, but now I had the stress of my dad being sick. So whether that was an excuse, okay, it was, it sort of became, I've got this added stressor. Now I was drinking to cope. I was drinking to relieve some of that anxiety, some of that stress, all the things that were marketed to believe. So here's the thing too. It's almost a pre-grief before the grief, because at this point, you know, he is not well. And I had the same, come to the same realization with my stepdad, my biological, I really, I knew he was on diet, had dialysis and the kidneys were clapping out, but then I lost touch again. And I just got to notice that he had passed. So mm. when we're sitting there watching them, your mind has a way of nothing but forcing you to go forward and say, well, you know, you've got to start looking at the the what, you know, what's going to happen because we've got to get real here. Because by that token, you're probably looking after well, your mum. I don't know with your situation if that was the case, but. Actually, um, that's that's a whole other. Um, no, that's okay. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> we can do that. Yeah. Anyway, but, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, I got chills when you said, you know, that he's not well, because I remember um, when my dad ended up in hospital um, and the doctor had ordered another MRI just to kind of see where my dad was at, you know, after all the radiation and everything else. And doctor had pulled me out and he said, OK, so this isn't good. And I just just those words and in just such a blunt, you know, like, um, voice and he just stopped he mm. didn't say anything more mm. Mm. and I just I remember like you know it was just okay so where do we go from here yeah exactly but at this point like he wasn't able to stand he wasn't like his whole left side of his body shut was down shut down like he couldn't do anything um so I knew we weren't in a good position you know what I mean so um but yes at that point we were starting to take care of some of the things. I mean, my dad didn't own his house. He was renting, but we were starting to have to think about, okay, well, where he's in hospital. Like we're going to have to start giving notice. Okay. What about all this stuff? Oh my God. What about all his stuff? <laughs> like, you know, um, I don't have space for it all. Um, you know, and just all like he owned his own business. He had a corporation. Um, what are we going to do with this? Like it, there was just so many what ifs. Um, and yeah, the thoughts really swirled in my head because my dad rescued me from a situation when he wasn't really prepared to be a single father. Um, but, you know, he has been my only constant really in my life since I was about 13. Mm. He was always there. Um, and I did bring it up for that particular reason, because I do believe that the bond between your father and yourself, which, you know, a lot, this is a different dynamic again from what a lot of single families go through. It's primarily a lot of the time the mom, but you were in a situation yeah. with this time, it's your dad. So. Yeah. And he wasn't ready, you know, like, I mean, and again, you're gone. young. Do you know what I mean? You're young, sweetie. Like he's, yeah. So how old at this point was he? He was 66 yeah. when, uh, 65. 
because mm. he lived for another two years. He died at 67, mm. um, just two months after his, his birthday. So young. Um, yeah, way too young. And I mean, you know, like <laughs> when he, when he first went into that, into hospital and like, you know, when he was terminal and, you know, never came back home he still wanted to work. He was trying to convince us, oh, you know, maybe if I can just get a motorized wheelchair and, you know, I can still go to work. I can still do all my training and I can still, we're like, ah, no, we think now is probably the time that, you know, you've, you've done well, dad. Mm. You know? Do you think, and I'm sorry to butt in there, but do oh, you think okay. it's part of him losing his, he thinks he's losing his identity? Oh, and he's just grasping on to because the trouble is, and my my stepdad was saying his brain was so active because he did he did crosswords his entire life. He was really good at Scrabble. He kicked my butt, and the same he played chess. But the body clapped out, the lungs clapped out in my dad's case. Mm-hmm. So they're so frustrated. It's got to be look awfully frustrating. For sure, my dad totally like, identified with work. Um, yeah, what his whole life revolved around. Um, and he, he had worked, um, for the government for several years and then got put onto workers' compensation because of a repetitive shoulder injury and was on workers' comp for several years. He, that didn't work out for him because he's not the type of person to just sit around at home and collect a check. So he ended up, um, going back to school, getting another degree and opening up this um, company in his own name. And so he built that up from the ground and, you know, revolved his whole life around it. And so, you know, there was nothing more that he identified himself by is working hard. And so, you know, and he instilled that in us. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people do. Yeah. I'm the same. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, and I, I see his stubborn qualities in me. And I, I think that's part of what's gotten me sober. So I appreciate that in him, Um, you know, but he also wasn't an easy man to be the daughter of. Mm -hmm. Um, No, we've talked about that. And again, it gets back to that, you know, feeling like you have to be perfect at everything because, you know, they're setting a high standard and this is what you're learning and you're thinking, how do I get there? Oh, I've got to get, I've got to get there. Okay. And never feeling like you're doing enough. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting that, you know, when you feel like that, because I always felt at times I was just a burden, like a nuisance and no one didn't, I didn't feel like that at the beginning at all, but you know, when things went to rubbish, I don't know why we're talking about that, but um, you know, people just feel different things, don't you? With, I mean, with different parents and yeah, I mean, so again, your dad, and I know that you've had a lot to deal with with the siblings because guess what? You don't have any, do you? Do you? I do. I have a brother. One, one brother. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he's on the other end of the country. Um, so we're still close. We talk all the time. Okay. Um, he came out a couple of times as well while, while my dad was terminal, but he and my dad had quite a um, headbutting relationship. And I think because they're too much the same. Um, he was very difficult. My dad was very difficult on my, on my brother. Um, but I think it comes down and now that I can see it, um, it comes down to the male relationships in my, in my family. Um, knowing my grandfather, the way he treated my dad, um, is the way my dad treated my brother. 
And so, you know, there was not a lot of emotion. There was not a lot of, you know, love shown. Um, So, and that sort of went down in the generations. So he was, you know, a little bit easier on me, but still there was a lot of the perfectionist, you know, drilled Mm -hmm. into me Mm -hmm. and everything else. So, um, yeah, it was, it was difficult to be his child. Did your brother have the same thing placed upon him? Did he feel the same way? Were, well, he, and that, he did have the same thing placed on him. Yeah. But my brother was able to, he's not the empath that I am. He doesn't wear his emotions on his sleeve like I am. Uh, yeah, he right. rebelled and, you know, was able to. I was going to say, is that why he got away? <laughs> yeah, it, it absolutely is. Yeah, um, it's why he moved to the other side of the country <laughs> and why he created space. Um, he set his boundaries in different ways. Um, but they just, you know, broke heads all the time. So, yeah. And again, we were talking about this before, um, you know, after, uh, you were left and I know you have been left with, um, just to jump sort of forward a lot Mm -hmm. to deal with just Mm -hmm. legally and documents and companies and you know and 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 you're trying to grieve too that's why i thought oh your brother's away and and you had to deal with a lot of that stuff on your own it's a lot for families to to deal with as i said nothing worse than being at the wake with your hand out and in the shed trying to get stuff and yeah you know who you are (laughs) sorry no it was all in my hands and i mean um, you know, that's probably when my drinking was getting to be at the, at the worst, um, you know, and around March, 2018 till, you know, COVID hit, you know, that time was all sort of like, yeah, I was getting, you know, daily, you know, separating my workday from my, you know, evening persona, whatever. Um, and I didn't really grieve dad. I mean, I left the nursing home after he passed away and we went to a restaurant and, you know, I drank there and then went home, drank some more. And, you know, I didn't really give myself the time to grieve because I was you were numbing. Oh, you were numbing, numbing too. Yeah. It's exactly scared, what I did. Yeah, yeah. I was scared to feel. I was scared to consider that my, the only constant person in my life was now gone. I mean, I've got my husband now, which is fantastic, but he doesn't know the old me you know what I mean like he you know he's the new constant in my life that's great but I mean you know the one person that you know has been around the whole time so um that was tough and you know I just I didn't know you know even now I find myself there's moments that I want to pick up the phone and you know like my one year you know like just those celebrations those you know um I mean I've hiked the entire Bruce Trail it's a 485 mile trail all through Ontario, or I think it's that distance. Um, but I mean, my dad loved celebrating. He loved hearing, you know, our accomplishments along the trail, what we saw and everything. And so he'd want us to call him after every hike. Okay. You know, tell me about it. I want to visualize it. And, you know, even before then, do you think you'll do it? You know? Um, so we were able to accomplish and finish it before he passed away and he was just so happy so moments like that I miss picking up the phone but even in moments of like what am I going to do for this you know I still find myself picking up the phone but well go on isn't it but I still I still talk to him 
you know. That's what um, I'm saying to you. Over to you. Isn't he there? He is here. Yeah. He um he told me. Oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I'm picking up on the cue. Okay. So, <laughs> We're just playing. Us. It's all right. He gifted us with such a treasure um, in his last day, yeah, about 36 hours before he passed away. He started talking and didn't stop. So I had the mindset to record it on my phone. So what I did is I put together little pieces. So I'm going to play it for you. And what you'll hear is not going to be very clear because of course he's already crossing over at this point. Um, so here it is. And I'll explain a little bit more afterwards. I wanted something the most. I do come here every day. I wonder if I'm doing it. I don't know that. I know that. Everybody's calling us. Our daughter. I wonder if the daughter I have. Father and daughter. So now I'm going to speak for you. This is really just for you. Okay. Honestly, it's up. I can make this. Are you all made this? I'm going to be done. So. Yeah, I just, you know, I, <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, yeah, he, he just talked for like 24 hours straight. And part of it made no sense to me at the moment because he was like, okay, Melanie, put a place down, place mat down for your, for your grandmother. She's going to have lunch. And I was like, my grandmother's been passed away for 15 years he was having lunch with her. He was already somewhere else, um, you know, whatever. So my dad wasn't the type of person to tell me personally, like vocally that he loved me a lot growing up. Same thing with my, with my brother, um, you know, like cards for my birthday, cards for Christmas. Sure. Love dad. It's always written in there. And that's why I got it tattooed on my arm. Yeah, you know, look at that. You know, he could write it, but he couldn't vocalize it. Right. So when he talked, when he was talking in those moments, I didn't want him to pass without hearing it. Because I don't know how much he heard it from his dad mm. or how much like if... I, I know I said it to him, but I wanted him to know mm, mm. that I loved him and that I appreciate everything he did for me. So I said it to him and he said it back to me and I had it. So I pieced together this little audio clip and I have it on my watch. I have it on my phone so I can hear it. And I, mm. you know, it's been really healing for me because mm, mm. these are things. He's are with thoughts. you. He's right there. He is. But these are thoughts that I didn't, Mm. often here when I had him in the physical body yeah it's yeah it's wild isn't it it's I wild. had to wait until his last 24 hours when he was not totally here so yeah it was really special and it was such a gift that I had and it's funny because he told me um that he was going to come back as a cardinal in the afterlife and I've got a cardinal that comes almost every day in the backyard um yeah, really? Because just with honestly. my with my first <laughs> with Squirrel Monkey, she had a I think she said some sort of dragonfly on her knee 
Right. Her sister was trying to tell her that she'd had this moment with the mother and anyway, they, they're quite different, her and her sister. Right. <laughs> and, and Squirrel said, well, I've got the, I don't need that proof. And I was sitting there and she asked her mum to come to her. She said later, just later, this dragonfly landed on her knee and stayed there. People have had lots of experiences like yeah. that. Every time I smash myself and bruise, I know it's my mother. <laughs> I know. I say, Mum, why'd you do that? What? Like, it's really funny. I know it's happened sometimes. If I've ever had a thought of drinking or go bash my elbow or knock myself into something, and I swear it's her. I do. I say, Mum, look, it's, it's not fair. <laughs> oh Lord! I did. I tell you what, she's still still haunting me while she while she's up there and I'm down here. Oh, but you've got to laugh. But, you know, it's, that's at the stage I'm at now. And I think that actually moving from one state to another helped, to be honest. I yeah. put a lot of things behind me when I left California. A lot. Probably everything, <laughs> except a couple of things that are very important to me, one of which is my stepdaughter. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, having spent a lot of time there and now being in Miami on the other side of, of, the, of the, you know, America and just, it's different life here and being on our own and we've gone through COVID and everything, it has been different and we have learned a new way to live. And I think even the quiet, because like I drank a lot more during COVID and I also gave up during COVID because I got to the point where I was probably going to blow up or burst if I kept going. And um, so we've gone through a big transition into the heavy drinking, all the losses, because yes, I, I'm, Fortunately, I was drinking and had drunk at both services and after, because that's what you do in Australia, straight to the pub after a service. And they were small. You know, there was no going to the, they were both. In fact, they're both in my sister's lounge room, all of them, and they're both of them, and they're very heavy and they're next door to each other. So I'm going to try and ask her for a little piece of both of those when I get home if she hasn't thrown them on the lake without me. which is where my parents built a house on a lake and they built it from scratch. It was a steel frame home and my sister grew up there with her horses. So I think that's where we want to go back and, you know, sorry, I made that a bit about me for a minute, but yeah, you know, that's what we'll do. But mum and dad are sitting on the shelf waiting for me when I get back to Australia. So that'll be good news. And they've got a new new home because my sister's now moved. So yeah, it's, it'll be good. Um, And knowing where they are, whereas again, uh, speaking of squirrels, she was arguing with her sister about the, about the ashes. I tell you what, people, grief, you better get your grief in because you can have a lot more drama than damn grief sometimes, I swear to God. Oh, you're going to need help. Just got to try and keep it simple. But you do need to take time out. It is very important to address it because we talked about complicated grief and different types of grief. I talked about that in part one. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I said they're going to try and make it with the medical um, the medical association that it actually becomes it's they've got a name for it as a disorder because some people just cannot put it behind them I, I can imagine it yeah and the doctors and I'd be interested in your opinion on this the doctors and, and I've you know I mean with my research I was on YouTube watching some documentaries and things and women were saying look you know it was my husband and typically like my mum together 44 years did everything for her she never drove you know they did everything together when he got sick she was and then passed away she yes was terrible 
I saw the amount of pills she was taking in the end just to get by. And it's terribly, terribly sad, you know, when this happens. I mean, yeah, so take me out, take me out from that because my train of thought's now gone. I mean, when people spend that much time together, it's, I know. it is tragic. And I mean, my grandparents, too, they've been, they were married 77 years, I think. Um, yep. My grandfather recently passed away um, recently. I mean, I guess it's been about a year and a half. My grandmother's still alive, but I mean, you know, we always thought that she would die of a broken heart afterwards. Um, she's, yeah, she has her moments where she's like, you know, where's dad, you know, like, she, you know, she, she forgets um, and she's looking for him, which is tragic in itself. Um, it's a thing. Oh, it's it a is. thing for sure. Yeah. I've seen it now, um, and it, and because I am, I'm older again than you, and I'm sad and I'm sorry for your losses because you're young and you shouldn't be going through it. But when you look back, it's really, really interesting because you know these people are passing away, and now we haven't got any parents, and you have to get on with it, and you're out in the world, and there is a moment there that it, it took me back to being that child again out in the world on her own. It was very strange because mm-hmm. this time they weren't coming to rescue me. Right. And that was a weird feeling. And that got me really upset. And, that, and then, then you have to deal with that and those emotions that come up. So sometimes then passing takes you back to your childhood trauma of what you went through to get to where you were happy with them. And it's a whole different ball game um, of bringing it up again. So you have to then deal with that and pat that back down again, put it back where, you know, you'd already dealt with it and back in its box and move on with life. But I guess that's just natural that things can pop up eh? at different times. And again, that's grief. It's all different motions, different angles, different days, like Squirrel said before, too. Right. Yeah. And I think that was my biggest fear of this, of grief and actually feeling the feels mm, of it is mm. the whole abandonment um, mm-hmm. of what I went through with my mom. And now with, you know, okay, well, I know dad didn't abandon me, but he was my constant. So is it going to, you know, give me those feelings again. And I know that, you know, he's not a permanent being, you know what I mean? Like he went through what he went through and he mm. fought and right until the very end. Um, and certainly his suffering was over. You know, I didn't want him to stick around for me any longer. And he tried. And that was part of what he said in his, you know, video or in his audio clip there. He's like, you know, I've only got a few days left. I'm going to fight just to stay here for you. Um, You know, but you're suffering more than I am because you're coming here every day. I'm like, don't do that for me. You know, it's such strength and dignity on on his way to heaven. I mean, talk about a man. That's that's some man. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I mean, he didn't want to leave because I was still here, you know, and it's my, just, dad, my dad was the same. God yeah. he kept worrying about now you girls and giving me instructions as the oldest and this and that. And my sister and my sister. Well, my sister's like, because she's his biological child. She's very mm-hmm. strong like him. She's part German and part Australian. And she's very, you know, she's like, I always say to her, God, for a little, little sister, you're bigger than, bigger than me, you know, because <laughs> she, she takes charge and she's very much all a control freak and she's got kids, but she's got a big family and heartbeats and she's got more going on than I do. So, you know, and it's nice. It's actually nice actually to not have to, because I did it growing up. So now she does a lot of that and she says, now you're going to come home for Christmas and it's and you're staying this time and she's asking me to come home. So, you know, it's going to be an interesting year. And 
you know, don't ask me if I'm going to grieve America yet because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. No, right. I, I mean, my friends and family are back in Australia. But it's interesting, though, you actually, in sobriety, I've actually learned to be away because I've lived away and overseas on and off for a long time. Mm-hmm. And now that the, my parents aren't there and, and the, the race to get home and see them because they were getting on, you know, or not well, it was always a priority to make sure I went. Now it's like, well, I want to, now you, you can do really whatever you want. Yeah. But now I, I said that. before, my auntie's going through it in Wales because mm. her husband's gone and it's like, oh. And it's really awful to see these women suffering. Yes, I've got my best friend's mom, who's 96, still lives at home. Unbelievable. I think she's Queen Elizabeth II because she's so graceful and beautiful. And I adore her and I used to live with them. And she lost her husband many, many years ago. As I said, I was still best friends with my girlfriend. We were at school. And she's lived independently ever since but she's got four daughters and I think again having you know she's got the um, twin eldest and the eldest daughter is with her and has been all the time she's got the same same name as my sister and I said to my best friend must be something in the name that they're so nurturing and and it's been fantastic you know and then I thought well my auntie doesn't have kids and neither do I'm gonna end up like my auntie and then got really depressed oh no (laughs) Because this can look after me. But, you know, I mean, look, it'll work itself out. You know, I'm sure I can pay someone. But you need two bucks to talk to me. But you know what it's like. You don't want to – and you do see older people. And I feel for them now. I'm at that age. I don't know what's wrong with me. But the old people I really take note of and really want to take time to talk to them. Absolutely. Yeah. I think COVID's probably put a spotlight on that too with, you know, the mm. lockdowns and everything else and, you know, just sort of the – separation of everything else oh yeah look and our hearts go out to everybody out there who maybe didn't get to see Mm -hmm. or touch base with your loved ones throughout COVID because that must have been and is an awful thing to have to go through I mean nobody wanted to experience that Mm -hmm. um you know you hear the and I've heard stories you know through the glass and waving and yeah so I consider myself very lucky that I was in Australia both times it happened and I said that before so yeah so what else is there what else have you done did you do therapy and things so and how are you like today I think today I'm I'm feeling really stable in my sobriety and I'm feeling good in my grief and you know it's really funny because in October um knowing that the first anniversary of my dad's passing was coming up in about five months it happened in March um I had reached out to my companies like employee assistance program to reach out for therapy because I had a lot of other things going on as well and um, again COVID I mean certainly there's a lot of mental health stuff going on Mm. Um, so I reached out to that for the first time my dad never really um, believed in therapy or I don't know if it was just not I don't know that he never believed in it but it was never maybe it's a man thing but my my dad was the same so was my husband he's coming I think men are coming around though yeah they are you know I think it was just not it was more taboo back then. they didn't know what it was about no right it's just talking listening um so I was never encouraged to you know but neither was my dad Mm. you know for all the issues that he probably could have you know sought help for he was never encouraged to either (sighs) 
You know what it is, though, too? I think we, we're we so fearful of being judged. Like, oh, she's yeah. going to tell me I've got a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, he's going to tell me I've got a problem and issues. And I don't want to hear about that. And look, I'm fine. You know, it's just that I'm fine under the rug. Let's get on with it. And we did. We just put our tougher shirt on and, yeah. you know, tipped the cement back, hardened up, and off we went. That's right. So, yeah, in October, I reached out to this service and they called me back and said, okay, well, um, you know, we're trying to match you up with somebody, you know, there's just, you know, not uh, any availability right now. Um, I'm still waiting. So, oh, are you? yeah. So oh. and it was in that time that I really started getting reabsorbed into my yoga practice and started, you know, reconnecting to the body, mind, spirit. And I've been doing my own therapy through all of that and peeling back the layers. And that, it's just been mind blowing to me. Um, so I'm feeling really, you know, stable and good and happy and whatever else. So I've been doing the work in a different way on my own, but through this, you know, um, yoga practice. So yeah, if they call me back, great, but I'm not expecting it. <laughs> so um it you know what, it. too? At the right time. Yeah. You're doing, like, I've watched, I told you, I was talking about you, I think, yesterday to Polly, and I said, you know, nobody has a dream run at this. There is no dream run. But it does prove if you have a magnificent attitude, you do the work, you turn up, and I get a feeling with you that you pretty much maybe had a mental plan of where you were going in the back of your mind because it's progressed the way it should have and nicely you've dealt with that and you then you dealt with some other issues and then you went on to that and then you went on to okay my own therapy now you're self-managing 100 not only that are you going to now teach others everything that you're learning and give back that's going to keep you isn't it in a great space and you're going to be you know it's going to become a career and you're going to be helping others and as I said, wonder what you're going to be doing in my, my year two. I yeah, made a joke know. and I said she'd be yeah. president because she's so. <laughs> I'm not breaking my other foot for it. No, 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 don't do that. No, no, no. But again, you know, it, it, look, you look at people like Drifter, he's just bought a house in 12 months. Yeah. You look at other people and what they've achieved as well. And look at you, you know, people are achieving things and everyone's coming around that clock now. I just said it before. And, we, and as they are, the one year to the two year mark, people are achieving things that you know they're starting to show and I'm sure people around you are going to are going to you know uh, notice as well <clears throat> and I don't know what this has all got to do with grief but it's great that sobriety is giving us all those things and it well it is it's assisting with our grief isn't it just being in a better headspace period well, for me I mean it all came down to I had to manage my own self-care because the system failed me yeah. So, you know, I, I had to seek out something else when one of the avenues mm. that's out there for me didn't have the capability to assist. So I looked for something else, something else. Um, you know, I could be a victim. I could be, you know, I could mm. wallow in it and, you know, stay stagnant or I could do something that'll help me. Yeah. That's what I love. I wanted to self-manage. And that's why I was really resistant to go to rehab, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
I didn't, <laughs> I went and I came straight home, which is really funny because it was just a funny old experience. And then I did it myself anyway. But that's the way it turned out it had to be. And I didn't understand why I couldn't do it anyway. And I'm glad I did it the way I did it. Right. Yeah. You know. Because you've got to be really, because you've got to want to, want to, want to, want to do it. <laughs> you got to do it your way. So, that, you know, if you're, if you're able to and you're not that far along in your addiction or whatever, you know, you can do it yourself. Just do it gently. Just wean yourself off. Go to your doctor. Wean yourself off and talk to your doctor and they'll tell you. But, you know, if you can say, it's a lot of money too to go to those things. Oh, I'm sure it is. Just like I was going to be awful there. This is my sixth sense of humor. Say just like funeral services, but <laughs> well, we are talking about grief. No, actually, my biological father copped this. Hadn't seen him for thirty-three years. I sound like a comedian now. And he, he says to me when I see him for the second time, 33 years, he says, don't worry, we've paid for our services, so it's not going to cost you anything this visit. And I said, well, thanks for that. Didn't hear from him again. Oh, wow. <laughs> I wouldn't have minded paying for the service. Fancy telling me. But there are people who are doing that now. It's actually quite a smart thing that people are actually taking care of stuff beforehand before they – especially if they know it. And the other day I was talking about the documentary um, on SBS in Australia, which is a, a channel, a telly channel, and there's a show called Inside. It's a documentary channel. And they had a guy on the other day and he actually crashes funerals oh, wow. to deliver messages from the dead. Can you only imagine? Oh, geez. Oh, it was hilarious. Yeah, you should watch that one too, listeners. It's on YouTube. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was hilarious. So, I mean, God, employing someone to deliver this and the things they were coming out with too. Oh, speaking for the dead. <laughs> There's a career in it. <laughs> I'll leave that one to the experts. <laughs> now, I was going to say, I don't think it would be for me. You've got to have some coonies to do that. Right. Anyway, so you're good today. That's great to hear. All right. So we have been at this now for a bit. It's probably time to go and get a cuppa. Is there anything else you want to share before we just say goodbye? It's been really nice talking to you. Likewise. Um, no, I think that is what I needed to get out. So no, I appreciate the time with you today, Debs. Yeah, no, it's good. And having each other, there's been, um, well, obviously, Breakground and uh, squirrel monkey who did part one they're both ladies who are in my group so we all have each other which is really lovely and we've all I couldn't believe the amount of loss that amongst us that we have had and we've started chatting and this is why I wanted to do this our podcast because and talk about grief because as squirrel monkey said in part one we don't obviously said Americans don't talk about it and I don't just think it's Americans I think that as a human race sometimes we don't face it um I was a little bit different with my family. And again, you know, it's a personal thing how you approach it. But anyway, I'm going to be back for part three, people. There is more coming and I'm going to have another guest. So please, whatever you do, pour the poison down the sink as Breakground's black and white cat just went straight across the screen to say goodbye and actually reiterated just what I said. And I will see you for part three. This is King 13. Have a great day. Au revoir. Over and out. Going to get a cuppa. See ya.